welcome. You're listening to a sermon podcast from Oak Hills Church in Folsom, California. This is week three of Advent, and this Advent season is a season in the church calendar that began to be observed about 1,500 years ago. And Advent encompasses the four Sundays, the four weeks that lead up to Christmas. Advent simply is a word that means coming. And so during this time, this Christmas Advent, Christians prepare and wait for the arrival of Jesus into the world. And as I mentioned, this Advent, we have been talking about this idea of living on mission. So just as Jesus came to reveal God to the world, we are to, in turn, go into the world alone and together as communities and reveal Jesus and demonstrate his kingdom to other people. But there's a crucial piece to this whole idea of living on mission. A crucial piece that I think sometimes becomes the missing piece. And it cannot be assumed to just be there. And it cannot be dismissed as, well, that's not that important. But I think this piece occasionally is assumed to just be there and is sometimes dismissed in the missional conversation. And the crucial piece is our ongoing need for God. Our ongoing need for fresh encounters with God, or what we're calling today sacred encounters, where we experience God's presence, and we are strengthened and we are refreshed by him. If you need a realtor, and I recommend the woman who sold our house to us back in 1998, you probably want to know if I've had any interactions with her since then. Has she sold Any other houses since then, Mike? Uh, Do you still talk to her, at least on occasion, kind of know how she's doing? Is she still in the business? Does she still work as a realtor? See, my experience with her in 1998 sounds like it was great, but we're in 2021. Is there any kind of update? See, to consistently live on mission, the way we've been talking about it, I would suggest to you, each of us needs regular encounters with God, ourselves. Or put it this way, the good news of Jesus remains good by having current encounters with him. So we're meeting him in the scriptures now and then. We're hearing him once in a while in prayer. We're experiencing him perhaps when we come to the communion table or when we gather together to worship as a community. We are now and then seeing him at work in our everyday lives and in the lives of those around us, or we are encountering him through the encouragement of our friends, or we are engaged with a community of others who are experiencing the reality of Christ together. In other words, we have, each of us, what we might call a present tense relationship with Jesus. Yes, we had an encounter with him in the past, but we continue to encounter him in authentic ways 
in the present. We moved to California in October of 1995, and shortly after arriving, I got out a phone book. They had those back then. And I started looking through it, looking for an insurance agent. And I found an all-state insurance representative out in Rockland where we lived. I called. I made an appointment to come in. I went in, and I liked the agent. So the process began of getting auto and rental insurance. And over time, I actually got to know the woman who was the agent a little bit. She liked to golf. Her and her husband were into golf. So we talked about that. A couple years after meeting them and had interactions here and there, they actually started to come to church here, all the way from Rockland. So I had this sort of ongoing connection with this insurance agent. And I actually now and then would run into somebody who lived out in Rockland, and I would recommend her to people that I knew who were looking for an agent who lived out that way. But at some point, maybe about 15 years ago, I received a letter that she was retiring, and a new agent was taking over. Today, our cars are still insured by this agency. Our house is insured, but I don't know this agent. When I have a problem, I call, and they handle my mess. But it's just protocols at this point. It's just paperwork now. Uh, hey, we got rid of this car. We sold it. And we're adding this car. Okay, Mr. Lucan, sure. We'll do ba -da -ba -da and send you this. So I would call it a problem-driven relationship. When I have a problem, they're there to help. But there's no ongoing or interactive relationship with my insurance agent. Not because she hasn't tried, but I don't really want that from my insurance agent, at least not this one. I just want my cars covered when someone cracks into them and my house covered when it floods. But it's not a relationship with any significance in my everyday life. Not surprisingly, I've never recommended this agent to anybody. I've never told anyone about this agent. I don't even think about it until I need it. It's not part of my conscious thought on any given day. I don't wake up in the morning thinking about Allstate and my policy and how it's covered unless I have a problem. And the point, I trust, again, is obvious. So when we talk about a sacred encounter, we are talking about you and I relating to God and experiencing him in however it happens, in our daily lives. We're talking about what we might call an interactive relationship with God. We're talking about doing the stuff of our lives with a conscious awareness of God's presence with us. We are aware and open to him through the minutes and hours and days of our lives. This is Jesus, the bread of our lives, who nourishes our souls. Not once back then, but ongoing nourishment through ongoing encounter and experience with him. Vital to life and vital to living on mission. The magi, or wise men as they are sometimes called, encounter the presence of God. This is what Jason read while they were singing. The scripture out of Matthew chapter 2, verses 9 through 12. They encountered the presence of God and the experience of that encounter shaped them and actually changed them. Magi means magician. So these guys are like astrolo likely astrologers in a king's court. 
They studied the skies in the hopes of discovering meaningful cosmic signs. And when they saw one, they'd try to figure out what it might mean. They did all their research, and then they'd go and form their boss, who was the king. And they would say, we saw this in the sky. We think this is what it means. So these magi were smart dudes. These were scholarly types. They studied dreams. They studied astrology. They studied magic. They read books in search of the hidden truths of the universe. They tinkered with ideas and concepts, and they grappled with life's big questions. They were wise men. And we're told in Matthew chapter 2, they came from the east, probably from Babylon, modern-day Iraq. They traveled about 900 miles searching for the newborn king of the Jews. Now, in spite of what Christmas carols might want us to believe or other Christmas stories, they did not see Jesus on Christmas night, uh, as some of these things imply. They didn't show up when he was in the manger and the animals were around. That wasn't how it happened. Verse 11 says, On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother. So they encountered Jesus at his house, not in his manger. So this encounter with Jesus occurred probably close to two years, maybe a little less than two years, after Jesus was born. And they encountered him when Jesus was waddling around the house in his diapers. Now, it was common for kings to send delegations to pay homage, when, especially to their allies, when significant events occurred. And that's part of what's happening here. We should not read more into this. They're coming because they were ordered to go by their king to bring gifts and pay homage to this newborn king. Hence the gifts they bring of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. But Matthew includes this story for a larger reason. There's more going on here than just political politeness. Matthew says the Magi saw a star in the sky and they interpreted it as a sign and they followed it all the way to Bethlehem to the place where Jesus lived. So whatever the star was, a planet, an angel, a supernova, whatever it was, God was in the star. God was behind this cosmic event in the sky. This was more, and they sensed it, this was more than just an astronomical event. Think about it. These guys spent a lot of time looking up at the sky. So God grabs their attention through an unusual spectacle in the sky, and they respond. They follow the star. They inquire of King Herod. Do you know where the king of the Jews is? And eventually, these smart guys from 900 miles away end up on their knees worshiping this toddler Jesus. So these guys are living their lives on their way to do their job as emissaries of a king, but it's more than that. Along the way, they encounter God. They experience God. And remember something, these wise men are not Jews. They've not grown up in the Jewish story of God's pursuing love. They live far away in the East. Talk about mission. Talk about God's good news being for all the people. These guys are outsiders. They're Gentiles. So right at the beginning of Jesus' earthly life, we see the missionary heart of God in this life-changing encounter with a group of outsiders. And verse 11 says, They bowed down and worshipped Jesus and presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense, 
and myrrh. Now, let's stay in the, in the real world here. These guys didn't have the whole story of Jesus sorted out in the moment they knelt in front of him. They didn't get it all in the moment they bowed down. Some part of them bowed down because it was their job as delegates of their boss. But another part of them knew there's more going on here. This was a sacred encounter of some kind. Everything is not all buttoned up. All their questions are not answered. All their doubts are not erased. But God is present, and they are experiencing him. Maybe in a way, this is the Christian life down in the nuts and bolts. God is present, and we are experiencing him. It's Advent on repeat throughout the year. In the midst of our daily tasks and relationships and experiences, God is present, and we are experiencing him. But again, let's be real. Signs in the sky are atypical. When's the last time you saw one? Me neither. Sacred encounters are not usually dramatic, flash, splash, or overwhelming. Usually, sacred encounters are simple and quiet. So we read a scripture and it just resonates. A friend's words land with unexpected power. We wake up in the morning and we make a little room for God at the beginning of our day before the house turns into a zoo. And God meets us in a few moments of prayer or reflection. Or we gather together on a cold, chilly, rainy Sunday morning and we worship God together and God's presence is experienced in some tangible and real way. Now I have to say it's hard to talk about this without it starting to feel a little fake, if I can be candid. It's hard to talk about this without it starting to feel a little forced. So let me say we don't manufacture these encounters. We don't control these encounters. We don't pretend we had an encounter so that we satisfy some guilt surge within us. Our job is to make sacred space for God in our homes, in our lives, in our minds. Make the space. And his job is the encounter. So we make some space for God in our minds and in our lives, and he shows up usually in quiet and in unspectacular ways. But somehow we see him, or we hear him, or we feel him. And he nourishes and sustains us. So let me say it this way. We will not live today with him in his presence if all we have is a dusty memory of a distant encounter with him somewhere in our past. He will be like the Allstate agent. If all we've got is 15 years ago, I remember this. God is not an idea. He is incarnation. In the flesh, dwelling among us. So let's talk about a hidden secret. We've touched on it. We've brushed up against it. Let's just name it. Ronald Rollheiser calls it the problem of unbelief among believers. He elaborates. You can follow on the screen. He says, belief in God for many of us is little more than a hangover. 
We feel the effects of a religious activity of the past, but our own consciousness borders on agnosticism. Rarely is there a vital sense of God within the bread and butter of life. We still make certain space for God within our churches, but God is given a very restricted place everywhere else. God is not experienced as a living person to whom we actually talk person to person, from whom we seek final consolation and comfort, and to whom we relate friend to friend, lover to lover, child to parent. Now, I can relate to this probably too well. Life happens, and God sometimes is far from my conscious thought. There's not always a vital sense of him within the bread and butter of life. I imagine a few of us, maybe two or three, can relate to this. It's hard to admit this, isn't it? But I think it's good to admit this, to get this out in the open, because it reduces pretending and the desire to experience God or the pressure to experience him is a breeding ground of pretending. So it's good to admit this. It's good to embrace this. It's good to say this. It's good to acknowledge this. One of the secrets Christian, Christians carry is the wide gulf between our professions about God and our actual experience with God. Sometimes we are living off the fumes of some experience with God in the distant past. But it's been a while since we've had a fresh encounter with him. And if we just say it like it is, without worrying about how it sounds, or without worrying about what other people think, some of us might say we don't really experience God very often. We don't feel him very often. We don't see him. We don't hear him. We don't encounter him. And he seems really far away. And so we listen to someone like Tiffany talking about God showing up in these sort of hidden places. And in our minds, we're thinking, well, that sounds good for you, but I don't have those kinds of things. I don't have that kind of visual on God. Now, it might be tempting to think there's an easy answer to all this. It might be tempting to just tell each other we should be with God more and we should read the Bible more and do better at loving him and do better at living for him. And there might be some truth in some of that, but should speeches rarely inspire. So what do we do with this? The incarnation and the resurrection and then the coming of the Holy Spirit, a second advent, tells us we live in a world enchanted by the real, with the real presence of God. You realize that. We're living in a world right now, today, because of the incarnation, he has come. Because of the resurrection, he has risen. And because of the sending of the Holy Spirit, he has come in the person of the Spirit. Because of this, we live in a world right now that is enchanted by the real presence of the living God. Or in the Apostle John's words, he dwells, the word is, inhabits. He dwells among us. He is Emmanuel, which means God with us. And a booming theme echoing throughout the Bible 
is God with us right now in the details of our everyday lives? But again, we don't always experience this. The felt absence of God is a real thing. It's been called the dark night of the soul. God seems far off. And let me say it again. Hiding this secret does nothing. Pretending it doesn't happen does nothing. Shooting does nothing. Sometimes there's a dryness in our relationship with God. So we live with the tension. And we name the tension. Who doesn't love David's intimate description of God's presence in Psalm 139? Let me just read a portion of it. This goes on and cascades like a gigantic waterfall. But David says, where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, you are there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there, your hand will guide me. Your right hand will hold me fast. Before a word is on my tongue, you, Lord, know it completely. You hem me in, behind and before. You lay your hand upon me. And then David says what we're all thinking. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. We might even say such knowledge is impossible for me to believe. David is describing his lived personal experience with a living personal and present God. That's David in Psalm 139. But this very same guy, at other times, Psalm 10, Psalm 13, says, Why, Lord, do you stand far off? Why do you hide yourselves in times of trouble? How long, Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? You see the tension? Wherever I go, there you are. You're always with me. But why do you hide yourself? Why do you stand far off? How long till you deliver me? It all just joins together in tension. The greatest Christians in the history of our faith have tasted and seen how good God is and they have travailed and wondered where God is. So lastly, let's talk about a soul reset. German theologian and pastor Dietrich Bonhoeffer wrote, the celebration of Advent is possible only to those who are troubled in soul, who know themselves to be poor and imperfect, and who look forward to something greater to come. I absolutely love that. Because this establishes, at least in Bonhoeffer's words, this establishes what we might call the prerequisite for experiencing Christ at Christmas Advent, and during year-round Advent, in the minutes and hours and days of our lives. So let's take it piece by piece. He says Christ is experienced by those who are troubled in soul. See, a troubled soul is the fruit of an honest assessment of this world. It's not depressing, it's encouraging. 
A troubled soul is the fruit of an honest assessment of this world. Something is not right in this world. Many things are dislocated. They're not the way they're supposed to be. Beauty still emerges for sure, but it is a beauty singed with brokenness. And those who feel the weight of this, those who carry the trouble of this, are ready and waiting for Christ to come and bring healing and reconciliation and goodness. According to Bonhoeffer, Christ is experienced by those who know they need help. Something is not right within them, and they know it. They don't know it here. They know it here because they've seen it play out here. They know themselves to be poor in spirit. They know themselves to be imperfect, as Bonhoeffer puts it. They know they need a savior. They know they need to be healed. And finally, according to Bonhoeffer, Christ is experienced by those who look forward to something greater to come. They long for something more than this life can offer and for something more than any human solution can generate. So their hope is in God to fill their longing with his presence and goodness. In a word, the celebration of Advent is possible only for those who are humble. Christ is experienced at Advent or on a Tuesday in June or any other time only by those who are humble. It's no coincidence that the primary characters in the Advent story are described as humble. It's not coincidence Jesus came to earth and was born as a baby in an obscure place without any fanfare, without any hoopla. This is who God is. And the prerequisite to experiencing him at Christmas Advent and at year-long Advent is to humbly seek him, to make space for him in our minds and in our homes and in our lives because we need him. It's to humbly bow before him like the Magi, humbly worship him like the Magi, and humbly offer our best gifts to him like the Magi. Most of us these days are fully immersed in the world of cell phone technology. Our phones are always on, always with us. Randy Chances is on right now. He's trying to turn it off. But our phones are always on. They're always with us. We're always connected. We're always communicating. These gadgets are amazing creatures. But sometimes, as I'm sure you unfortunately are aware, they get jammed up for whatever reason. This button suddenly doesn't register. That feature suddenly doesn't work. And now this phone can't do what it is designed to do. So it needs a reset. Okay, maybe turn it off, then turn it back on and see if that resets it. If it doesn't, at least with an iPhone, there's a reset iPhone feature to clear out all the clutter. Kind of go back to the beginning and start over. Sometimes in our Christian experience, this is my experience, maybe yours, sometimes in our Christian experience, we get jammed up for whatever reason. And our souls need a reset. 
They're over-cluttered and unable to work as designed, which means we don't work as designed. And our souls need a reset. We need to slow down. Let go of you fill in the blank. Lay down you fill in the blank. Confess. Open up our hands. Relax our shoulders. Breathe. Remember God. Invite Him to go from the back of our mind to the front of our mind. Invite Him to go from some shelf in a top cabinet we rarely open to the kitchen counter, something we see every day. Invite Him from being the insurance agent we don't really deal with unless we have a problem to being a friend, someone we interact with. So we make some space for him. We make some room for him in our schedule to reset our souls. We invite him back into our lives. We invite him into the foreground of our thoughts. We invite an advent to happen in our lives where we are present to his presence. We all need this periodically. Maybe we need this today. And here's the thing. When we choose to reset our souls, rediscover humility, we might find God again. We might taste and see how good he is once again. We might find peace again. And we might discover all over again just how good the good news really is. So I want to ask you to close your eyes and breathe. I know it's audacious, maybe even a little bit silly, to think that in this moment as the clock ticks and the stomach growls and the kids get antsy, it may be a bit absurd to think, maybe, in the next few moments a reset could happen. Part of the reason why this particular subject matters to me these days is because I feel these things in some ways in my own life. Not discouraged by it, but I feel it. I feel it for myself. I feel it when I talk with others. And their words sound one way, but there's a certain vacancy that cannot be concealed by tidied up words. You know and I know life is busy noisy we come up upon forks in the road in our lives on a regular basis we choose a way we get about a quarter of the mile down that way and we smack ourselves in the head and say you dummy you did it again we want to be a people who live on mission but we will not consistently sustain a life of mission 
unless we are having regular encounters with the living God. Nourished by the bread of Jesus. There's a freedom in being real about these things. There's a freedom in holding our hands open, saying, God, I, I want to reset. I want some of the clutter cleared out, some of the sticking points to get unstuck. And what better time than this season of the year where we wait for you and prepare for you. So come, Lord Jesus fresh into our hearts and minds and souls. Recalibrate, realign. We pray you would do so graciously and gently. And even in these moments, be present with us and give us the attention, the heart and the mind to be present with you. We ask this in Jesus' name.